Welcome to The Birth Debrief, a safe place where women and families are invited to share their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum journeys. The Birth Debrief centers experiences that may be difficult for others to hear. We are lifting the lid on topics that aren't often spoken about. Loss, infertility, discrimination, obstetric violence, birth trauma and so much more. If you are processing any trauma or pain from your parenting or birth experiences, please consider whether listening to these stories may be right for you at this moment in time. Today's episode is part one of a two-part episode with Kristen Begnall. Kristen is, amongst many things, a mother of two, a fierce home birth advocate, and everything that comes with that. But last but not least, she is also my eldest sister. I credit her with planting the seed that led me to planning my own home birth and also with the birth of her second daughter being one of the very first births that I photographed and one that set my soul on fire with a passion for continuing to document births. In today's episode, we cover Kristen's journey to parenting, her plans for a home birth and how she coped with having those plans taken from her when she found herself with a rare health complication at 36 weeks pregnant. If you haven't already, I suggest you go back and listen to episode one of The Birth Debrief, which is my story. There are points in our conversation at which Kristen's story and my story intersect, and listening to this episode will help give you context on those. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and thank you so much, as always, for tuning in and for holding space for all of these people's journeys. Thank you. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Um, As I mentioned to you guys earlier, Kristen is my sister, so that's that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And you're here to share about your birth stories and um, your journey to parenting and how that came about and, yeah, just everything to do with that. So did you want to introduce yourself and your family? Uh, yeah, I'm Kristen. I've got two kids, um, six and three, two girls. Um, yeah, I guess um, the two births are what got me into what I'm doing now with advocacy and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I. What What is it that you do in advocacy? Um, so I'm. I do. I've been. I'm, committee member of home birth new south wales for about three years Mm. now um so i started off there um just as a general member and then vice president then i looked after memberships for a while and now i um, look after the advocacy side of things um and a couple of months ago i i took on coordinator of home birth australia um and apart from that, I'm just a consumer rep for my local health districts, two of them. Um, so I go to meetings for hospitals and look at fact sheets and just advise on a consumer's perspective of things. For new policies and things like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, not so, I haven't done so much policy work, but just um, mainly new programs that they're you know, that they're implementing. Um, so I sat on the committee for the Westmead publicly funded home birth program. Um, and that was my first gig actually as a consumer rep. 
and just, uh, you know, various other things like Ministry of Health, Bureau of Health Information, anytime something comes out that's maternity related, mm. I usually jump on it um, if I've got the time at the time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've got a lot of my finger in a lot of pies yeah in between parenting and running your own business too <laughs> yeah yeah some weeks when the business is slow I spend all my time doing advocacy and um mm. you know writing letters or yeah you know position statements or whatever it is um it's a passion project doing that sort of stuff yeah yeah there seems to be a lot of admin involved sometimes I feel that <laughs> yeah yeah and then yeah, so I just, they take turns, you know, and I should be doing study in the background. But Do you want to jump into your journey to parenting and, and birth and how that all kind of evolved for you? Yeah. From whichever point you feel appropriate to commence? Yeah, well, I've been asked this before in an interview about, you know, what got me onto home birth because at the time I, I didn't know anyone who had home birth, mm. didn't even realize it was a thing I remember there was a secondhand book sale at my office and mm. I picked up a couple of books um, and one of them was about the American maternity system and how messed up it is and it mentioned home birth and that's what got me on the on the path so I actually did some googling and found um, a private midwife in Sydney who um, you know it was an MGP clinic and I went and met with her and funnily enough, she ended up being one of my midwives mm -hmm. later on. But I asked her all the questions that I had and, and she answered them and I just knew, okay, when it's my time, that's what that's what we'll do. It just yeah. felt right. Um, I didn't even read that much about the safety. You know how some people yeah. say, you know, what drew them to home birth were the, the stats and the outcomes. It It wasn't even that. It was just that it made sense yeah you know when you know you know yeah and I have no I had no at that time previous hospital trauma you know I wasn't um opposed to going to hospital it was really yeah the only way I can say is it just felt like yeah. right then when it as soon as we did find out we were pregnant I made an appointment or I called the same midwife she referred me to another one who was a bit closer to me and we booked in straight away so uh, I knew that I wanted the same person throughout. Yeah. I knew I wanted the continuity. I knew I didn't want to be sitting for hours waiting in a hospital for appointments. Yeah. Um, why, why did you know that you wanted the, the one person all the way through? Like why did that feel important to you? To be honest, like it felt like such a personal, yeah. intimate thing. I didn't want strangers up in my face every yeah. time I went to an appointment yeah it was just another thing that just felt just right <laughs> yeah yeah and um yeah and even to be honest when I first booked in with her I wasn't a hundred percent decided on home birth yet mm. but I had that option <clears throat> with her and she said look it's easier to plan for one and change your mind yeah. than the reverse yeah so that's what we did. And, you know, about, I don't know how far into the pregnancy it was, we did a hospital tour, which is standard, you know. Yeah. And I just said to her, I don't want to have my baby here. Mm. It just, the smells, the, mm. I don't know, maybe I do have some, like, maybe I did have some hospital trauma that I didn't know about, 
you know, at yeah. the time, but the smell really was like, yeah. it's not a natural thing though, you know, like mm. it, yeah, I don't think you need to have trauma to walk into a hospital and not feel at ease. Like yeah. even if you don't feel uncomfortable, you don't feel at home. Yeah. It was so clinical and cold yeah. and busy. And yeah. And I just walked through the rooms and, and I just knew, I was like, no, mm. let's do the home birth thing. So that's what we planned for. And, um, yeah, there was no problems in the pregnancy. You know, I was sick for about half of it. Yeah, about half of it. Um, Morning sickness? Yeah. Yeah, just nausea all day. So I just lived off, you know, tins of spaghetti and <laughs> whatever I could stomach. It wasn't a – yeah. So I actually did lose a little bit of weight in the first part of it because um, I wasn't eating much. Yeah, but apart from that, no, no dramas. I think there was one fairly late – check with the midwife so it was in the 30 something weeks but before they started doing home visits yeah where she did the fundal measurements and was like oh it seems a bit short we'll try again next week and it, and it was still a bit short so she sent me for a another ultrasound mm. and and so that was about a week of real um intense anxiety because the ultrasound tech told me the baby had an abnormally large head for its body. Mm, I remember. <laughs> and I was like, what? Yeah, and then it turns out that this tech, um, the baby was already engaged or far enough down that she yeah. couldn't get a proper measurement. Yeah. And she was a trainee as well. And then ultrasounds are not all that accurate anyway. Yeah, and that was my experience, my first experience yeah. with that. I was yeah. like, wow, okay. Did um, it really throw you around? Oh, yeah. Them saying that to you? Yeah. yeah. I left that appointment like in a panic mm. and called the I remember when I left the midwife's appointment actually when she told me I needed the scan I called my husband in a panic like that's all it took yeah and um so after the scan I was like far out you know yeah. totally unexpected um but it turns out it was for nothing so it was just yeah. a week or two of this unnecessary anxiety yeah yeah, yeah totally yeah that was the only thing in the <clears> pregnancy <throat> that really was a worry. How was your experience uh, with strangers and family and just people you came into contact with telling them your plans for your birth or did oh. you did you disclose that? Did you Okay, the very first one was when we were telling everybody that we were pregnant. Yeah. So home birth didn't even come into it, but we told a family member, you know, we're out at dinner and they asked, "Did we have private health cover?" And we're like, "Yeah, but not for obstetrics." And and he, his reaction was like, oh, my God, why don't you have it? You need to get it. Like it was, it was, yeah, it floored me. Frantic, yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not going to fucking tell you what my, <laughs> home birth what plans my actual are, plans are. No way, because I was like, if he reacts this way over. Public uh, versus private. Yes, it yeah. was a public versus pro- private thing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Did you know much about the statistics between results of obstetric care in public versus private at that time or no, no. yeah no but yeah to be honest I don't think I even knew anything about different models of care mm. like I didn't know what MGP was I didn't know god something just yeah I just wasn't interested in going private mm. I don't know why did that I'm interaction did that inter- interaction scare you off telling other people about your home birth yeah plans yeah it did yeah, so from that point on, I pretty much pretended that we were having the baby in the public hospital, which was the backup plan. Mm. 
I told, you know, close family, but people's reactions shocked me. Like I remember when I told mum, her reaction is not what I expected it to be. Yeah. Because I thought she'd be all open-minded to it. Yeah. But she wasn't. And I think, and now I know it's because her her understanding at the time of what home birth was mm. is not what it was. Yeah. She was thinking more along the lines of free birth. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even when I told you, you were like, why? <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, are you allowed? Yeah, yeah. Like I had no idea. Yeah. You know? And then I was like, oh, you're crazy. Yeah, like. <laughs> it wasn't a, it wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't a very well known thing. And there was one girl at work who I worked with who was pregnant with her second at the same time as me, mm. and um, she was a couple of weeks behind. No, can't remember. We we're about the same anyway. And uh, and she used to constantly ask me, "What if something goes wrong?" And that's the main question anyone's yeah. ever asked me since. But yeah, what if something goes wrong? And, and you know, she had a not great time with her first in hospital. And and I was conscious of that that was most people's experience, really. Like people would, we sat right next to each other in the office and people would come up to her and tell her their horror stories, even though she'd had a baby before. Mm. But that they, they wouldn't come up and tell me, but I was right. listening, you know. like Yeah. But I was, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I had this mentality through the whole pregnancy that, like it was blissfully ignorant, you know. Yeah. Like that's not going to happen to me. Yeah. That's not going to happen to me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I and I I went to great effort to shut out all the negativity. Right. Like, I think that's the main reason why I didn't tell people because I didn't want to open that yeah. open the doors to their yeah negative comments. I guess that really comes down to personality type as well because if you're the sort of person who would take on other people's little thoughts and you know mm. if, if their thoughts are going to plant a seed in your mind that might start to grow into doubt that would be something that you would be conscious of you know yeah and I think <clears throat> normally I wouldn't shy away from having a conversation about it like especially if I feel I'm well informed on the topic yeah but I was in like protection mode yeah yeah I wanted to protect my space yeah. and my mental state Mm. and even in the calm birth class that we did um we did sort of like it was calm birth and then a transition to parenthood I think it was called so it was over four weekends we went to this thing and and uh part of it was she would tell us about um different interventions and stuff that could happen in hospital I'm pretty sure I was the only one in the room planning a home birth um but I'm not sure if I told them that but you know we did the whole round the room Mm. thing Mm. And she had, you know, told us about it was actually good information, you know, like if you get induced, this option might be better than this one. Mm. This one's le- less invasive. If you need pain relief, these are the different types. It was good. Yeah. But I, in the back of my head, I was like, don't need it. Not going to have it. Don't right. need it. Not yeah. have, you know, it was yeah. just. And I remember she she picked up on that and was like, um, it probably wouldn't hurt to come up with a plan B or something, you know. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember she gave me a book on cesareans and I didn't read it because I thought I'll somehow jinx myself if I read it. <laughs> you know, it was really that kind of, mm, you know how you hear yeah. some, some people in the home birth community won't even pack a hospital bag? Yeah. It's like that. Yeah, I think yeah. it's pretty common. I remember, yeah, I remember umming and ahhing over whether I would do that. I thought it, it was a bad omen if I did mm. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was weird, but that's kind of where my brain was at. Mm. And, um, like, I tried to, 
yeah, I, I did read a lot. I read, um, God, I'm getting my pregnancies mixed up now. Can't remember what I read in the first one versus the second one, but I remember I had a book about breastfeeding, mm. and that was like, that's going to be my maternity leave project. Yeah, I'm going to read that, and um, you know, learn all about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, never got around to reading it because I went on, well, sort of on leave, but still working from home, and I'd been working from home for four days. And then, like, the day before that, I'd, I'd gone a really long walk. My naturopath was, like, telling me I need to build up some stamina. So I went on a long <laughs> walk with the dogs and the next morning I just felt sore and tired and a mm. bit sick at about lunchtime, like a bit nauseous, and um, got this pain in my hip area mm. that got worse throughout the day and I thought maybe I sprained something. Mm walking up these hills and um yeah as the day went on um it got worse and it was probably about nine o'clock at night I called my midwife and she um she said let's go to the hospital and check it out and I called my mum as well our mum and she's like it sounds like appendicitis and she came over and did all the you know the tests where they pushed down and mm. um and she said I'm pretty sure that's what it is so she drove us to emergency at the hospital and I remember going I'm not ready yet I'm not ready yet like yeah. it was just panic and yeah. I'm like I don't have any any bag packed because mm. you know mm. fuck if I just packed a hospital bag yeah you know and um was it going through your mind I'm here and I'm here to stay like on your way to the hospital or were you just in a flurry of I don't know like I remember I think I went I think I swung between I think I, I sort of swung between the two because there were times once we were in the hospital where I was, like, thinking I was going to go home. Mm. And then, yeah, but on the way there, I remember saying, I'm not ready, mm. over and over. And when we got there, I think mum was parking the car. We walked into emergency mm. and they just looked at me through the glass and said, go to maternity. And I'm like, I'm not in labour. And they just wouldn't even talk to me. They just pointed me out the door. And by mm. this stage, it was really hard to walk because the pain was like, was really bad. Yeah. So I don't know how many metres, hundreds of metres it was, maybe one or two, maybe 150 metres to the main entrance. But I remember that walk going like a couple of times, I had to stop and, um, and walk over. We later found out that there was a lift in emergency that took you straight oh, up to maternity. So that so would have been nice. So you went all the way to maternity? Yeah. We went to the front door. We had to beg for a wheelchair from the cranky wow. old bitch at the front of the hospital. She said, make sure you bring it back. So we went up to maternity and while I think our midwife met us there. So while they were at the front desk doing the paperwork and stuff, I was, it's funny, like I was naturally getting myself into positions that you would get into in labour yeah. to try and ease the pain. Right. And so they probably thought that I was yeah. in labour. Like I was on my knees leaning over the chair. Right. Instead of sitting in the chair. I just, you know, like yeah. it was it was intense pain. It wasn't going away. Okay. It wasn't like. It's just nonstop. Yeah, it wasn't contractions. Um, yeah. But they hooked me up to the monitor and, you know, the midwife checked anyway. Uh, I wasn't dilated and there was no. Well, she did think at some point that maybe the pain was causing me to contract, but it wasn't 
labor. Yeah. Um, and the baby was fine, but then we just waited and waited for hours. So like what, nine thirty, ten o'clock maybe we got to the hospital. And then, you know, it was great that um everybody there seemed to know my midwife yeah. and let her do her thing. So no one bothered me. It was just her and my husband and mum and, you know, occasionally staff would come and go. But I was laying there on the bed, you know, just tr- trying to get comfortable. And they said there was some emergency that night, like car accident or something, and all the all the staff were sort of tied up. So it took a long time before someone came and saw us and they, you know, mum and the midwife went through all the observations they'd made and that they thought it was appendicitis and I remember the staff being really dismissive of that Mm. like oh no it's not you know because I had I think god I don't know how many symptoms there are for appendicitis but I had them all except for an infection I didn't have a temperature and so they were just dismissive dismissing what they were saying and mum said to me later at one point she questioned the the registrar or whoever it was, the surgeon who came in and she said to him, if it's not appendicitis, what is it? Yeah. And he just turned his back on her and walked out. So, you know, I I was sort of, they had a lot of these conversations away from me yeah. so I couldn't hear them. But hearing about them later was like my introduction to the hierarchy mm. that goes on in hospitals and yeah. neither mum or the or the midwife worked for that hospital um, and so had even less authority than the midwives who did, yeah, you know, yeah. and it was real buck passing, you know. Mm. They kept part of the arrangement with me um, being able to, so this was before my midwife had visiting rights at this hospital, <laughs> um, it had options. So earlier in the pregnancy she said, look, you can just go with me, but then if you have to transfer to hospital, I can't be your midwife I can Mm. only act as a support person yeah but if you get this what are the collaborative arrangement with this obstetrician as well which was a bit of extra money Mm. um like I don't know how much more um then if you have to transfer I can be your midwife and so luckily we went with that option because um you know I met the obstetrician twice in the pregnancy and he was like, yep, yep, I trust, you know, your midwife knows what she's talking about. Yep, all good. And five minutes later, we're out the door. Mm. So that was my introduction to him. But everyone was calling him throughout the night for advice. And he kept saying, observe, like just wait and observe. Yeah, that was frustrating when I read through my notes yeah. later because I'm like, can someone just make a call? And what are they waiting for? For something worse to happen or for it to go away like there's no you know I don't know to be honest I think probably a Mm. (laughs) because that's what ended up happening Mm. and um you know it was about god I don't know how many different people had come and gone before this happened but maybe two in the morning the pain just skyrocketed and and it and it was stayed there you know Mm. so I couldn't talk and I couldn't lay still on the bed I was just writhing around were you on pain medication no 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 they offered me heaps and I just kept refusing it because it was just in my head that I wasn't going to have any yeah in labor yeah I didn't want the baby to be affected by it and so I didn't have any not even Panadol I don't think 
I can't remember, but definitely didn't have any anything harder than that um, until this point. And then, you know, my midwife gave me some morphine. Yeah, and the timing of that was probably a bit off because the next thing I know, the um, registrar and the surgeon or who, whoever walks in again, mm. the decision makers, and they just saw me lying all peaceful on the bed and went, mm. Uh, you know, if they came in earlier when right. I was in yeah. agony, yeah. maybe, you know, there's a lot of what ifs. Um, but then we kept waiting, kept waiting until it was, what, eight in the morning and the obstetrician came in for what I assume is the start of his work day. Yeah. You know, yeah, there wasn't a special visit to come and see me, yeah. but he came and saw me first. Mm. And, yeah. Like my memory of it is all a blur, but when I looked at my um, hospital notes, it said at 8 o'clock he assessed me and at 8.01 I signed the consent form for a cesarean. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's quick. Like is one minute A, enough time for you to assess me and B, to explain the risks of that procedure? I mean, really I had no choice. I couldn't have said no to that because... The appendix had burst by that point. I needed to go under a general anaesthetic anyway to get the appendix out. So, but still I think in my head up until that point, I was like maybe they can take it out and leave the baby in. That obviously doesn't make sense because. I don't think we went into how how far along you were. Oh, sorry, I was 36 and six days when I went in. So the day, no. 36 and 5 when I went in, 36 and 6 when they did the cesarean the next morning. So um, they classified her as term, term, early term or whatever it was. Um, and I now know that they there's no way they could have taken the appendix out, stitched me up and had me go into labour three yeah. weeks later or yeah. four weeks later, you know. Yeah. Like I would have needed more surgery. <clears throat> yeah. There's no way. It would have busted my stitches or something you know so but I wish someone had told me that straight in that time period while we were waiting because I think those few hours that I was sitting there waiting could have been used to prepare myself for that were they having discussions with you about the possible need for appendectomy or were were they even discussing or contemplating that it might have been your appendix like where were they at at two o'clock in the morning when the pain skyrocketed did they start to have those conversations about, oh, maybe it is? or No, no. So in my notes it says clinically not appendicitis right. um, by the by the registrar and um, I think it was the obstetrician who made the call Yeah. and I don't think any of them knew for certain. As I've been told, with appendicitis you don't know until you operate. Um, they didn't know until they operated yeah. but... They knew something was up. Do you think if you hadn't have been pregnant that you would have been in for the surgery at oh, yes. 2 o'clock or 9 o'clock at yes. night? Yes, yeah. 100%. It was, it was such a case of I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole because you're pregnant. Yeah. I don't want to be the one who – and it wasn't – I don't think it was my life they were worried about. Yeah. It was the baby. Yeah. And they're like, um, yeah, wait for the baby expert mm. to make the call Yeah. because then it's on him. There is such a thing about uh, – Losing babies is like the worst thing that a hospital can do, you know, mm. um, is for a baby to die. Like when that happens, that hospital's like 
bad PR, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was totally that. I do not think that if I'd gone to emergency with this that they would have made me wait so long. Like, it was acute. I know appendicitis can, like, sort of brew over weeks, but yeah. this one wasn't. Yeah, it was – I definitely got that impression. Even in my confusion and yeah. haze, like, my memory is pretty – fuzzy about that it's it's the hospital notes that I you know that I know the timings of things and stuff and having mum and everyone there yeah Yeah, and having other witnesses there exactly like yeah even even then the hospital notes are very not accurate yep (laughs) they're not you they usually aren't but the I also had my midwives notes to compare is there discrepancy between the two or I don't remember no I don't remember I mean she wrote her she wrote her own notes in the hospital notes as well right I don't remember there being any discrepancy there but um there was a lot of yeah called Hmm. the obstetrician he said this wait and see and um yeah so I could have I could have been using that time to go okay because I didn't even know that I would be under a general anesthetic yeah I didn't know what that would mean yeah I didn't because I hadn't, that's one thing they didn't cover in the calm birth thing was, you know, they covered all of the pain relief but not general anaesthetic because right. it's not common. I didn't know that there were risks just with that. When I read the hospital notes and it said on the consent form risk of hysterectomy on the C-section form, I don't remember. I don't remember that being explained to me. That doesn't mean that it wasn't, but, you know, in the space of a minute, yeah how much can you really explain yeah um so really wish someone had of I I know they were trying to protect me but this was not a normal situation I think that some straight up facts would have been useful yeah you know and it's a fine line between not wanting to scare the person that you're with and give them that information ahead of time and you know, wanting them to be informed because I've been in the birth suite before with with clients of mine who um, they've decided it, it needs an emergency C-section, not a true emergency like yours, but more like an unplanned yeah. C-section. Yeah. And they come in with a piece of paper and go, these are the risks, here you go, sign. And I always say, can you give her a minute? You know, just give her a minute to just consider mm. what you've just told them, you yes. know. But if you can see it going that way, like letting them know ahead of time, giving them the space and time to have those thoughts run through their mind instead of just, absorb it in that second because it's impossible you can't no and like no you can't you can't especially if it's um unplanned like not even considered like it wasn't it wasn't I had a plan a yeah and that was it yeah and um it wasn't in your realm of possibilities no and I think that was kind of my downfall in a way because I like to be prepared for what's going to happen and yeah and I didn't I didn't invite any of that in and then I ended up in that situation and I was totally unprepared because mm. I didn't, yeah, I just had no idea like yeah. what was even involved in a cesarean, how long it would take. And I didn't have time to think about it because I remember it was a mad rush from that point on. I think the actual surgery was at 8.30 something uh, or maybe it started sooner because, you know, baby born at eight. 36 I think right um but I remember mum telling us before that when you when you go under a general anesthetic or whatever they got to take your nail polish off so they can put this thing on your finger and something about oxygen in your blood and I remember thinking at that moment 
they're not taking my nail polish off. <laughs> What's going on? Like it was just, a, you know, they didn't even take my jewellery, like my earrings out or my jewellery off. Wow. It was rushed straight off. So they moved me to the wheelie bed and um, and wheeled me off. I just remember the look on mum's face. She was, uh, the reason it scared me so much is because she is an emergency nurse, yeah. right? So I thought, fuck, if you're scared, like, this is serious. And um, and James as well yeah. looked scared. So it was quick. It was like a quick wheel past them, squeeze their hand, you know, um, so, like, yeah, it would have been nice to have that time yeah. because from that point on I was, like, hyperventilating because... Were you on your own? My midwife was with me. Yeah. Um, and the obstetrician was with me. But then there was, like, ten other people in the room who... Mm. Uh, who I'd never met before. Like, it was a lot... It felt like a lot of people... And uh, yeah, I remember thinking I'm not. I might not see them again. Mm. And you know, uh, my midwife was at my head, and they wouldn't let James in the room. Mm. Um, so I think they were almost not going to let my midwife in the room, actually. Right. Uh, but maybe because I was freaking out so much, they did. Yeah. So I was holding her hand and then I was holding the obstetrician's hand who, even though I'd only met him twice, like collectively probably spent 20 minutes with him the whole pregnancy, including that day wow. before this, um, I felt like, you know, he was someone I knew. Yeah. And that's when I think, you know, going off track a bit, about being with someone you know yeah. in, in a moment like that is so important, so fucking important because, you know, 20 minutes, you know, yeah. and, I, and I knew him and I've heard people say that, um, you know, they go through the system that's not a continuity model and they get um, they get someone they've met before. God, it makes a difference, you know. Um, but he had no idea, like, honestly, <clears throat> neither of them had um, even had time to read my birth plan because I sent it to my midwife the day before this happened. Right. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, she knew from discussing with me yeah. throughout the pregnancy what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they were trying to put the mask on my face to put me under. At this point, were you aware of what general, like what would be happening with the general anaesthetic and that you would be I think so. not awake? Yeah. yeah, I knew that they were taking the baby out. Yep. And um and I knew I wasn't gonna be awake for it. And yeah, I couldn't I, I was breathing too fast to breathe in the gas. And so that's when the calm birth came in handy. Like I actually started doing the the counting and the breathing. And then yeah, and then next minute it felt like, next second I wake up wow. on my own in a room that was it felt too big. For the bed like there was my bed and I don't remember if there were beds next to me but there was one on the other wall it felt, felt like it was so far away mm. like I was lifting my head up squinting and there was a man on the bed and because and my vision was so blurry still from the anesthetic 
he must have thought, what the fuck is this person doing? <laughs> Sitting here staring at me like this, like I was squinting at him from across the room, just trying to focus my eyes. And then my face just started itching like mad and I had the mask on. And so I'm scratching it off and a nurse came over to me and and I said to her, where's my baby? And she said, um, God, I can't remember what she said, something, something standard. And um, like, I don't know, I'll ask for you or whatever. And um, I kind of, I can't remember then who took me through, like who first came in to get me and wheel me um, through to the NICU, which is where um, my baby was. Um, I don't remember if it was my midwife or not, but I remember getting in there and still very blurry vision, so I couldn't really see, I couldn't really make out the details of her face or anything. And um, I know there's a photo and I don't know who took it, it might have been you, I don't know, of me in the bed reaching out like so there's a nurse holding the baby and me sort of reaching out to her um but they wouldn't let me hold her because something about the anesthetic so that's gripe number 50 fucking yeah hundred thousand that I got with that whole thing because you ask to hold her I can't Mm -hmm. remember yeah I'm sure that I did yeah because I remember them saying to me no, you're still a bit groggy or yeah. something like that. Like she could have held her on me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um that little thing was I mean, so many examples of what not to do yeah. for midwives and hospital staff. Like that tiny little thing yeah. would have made such a difference. Um having someone in the someone you know in the room when you wake up would have made Oh yeah. You know, like <laughs> and I expected that yeah. at least yeah because I, I was shocked when I woke up on my own yeah it felt like that Kill Bill scene yeah. <laughs> and I was like where's my baby yeah you know can someone yeah. tell me please um and then they were just like you need to take care of yourself you've had surgery you need to go upstairs and they just wheeled me upstairs and I and I must have slept for a while um so it didn't really um like I wasn't thinking about post birth, which I think is another common thing. Yeah. <laughs> People spend so much time thinking about the birth, not what is gonna happen afterwards. Like yeah. I knew I wanted to breastfeed. I knew I didn't want her to have formula. Yeah. That was that was definite. And then um I'd found out that they'd given it to her without my consent. Mm. And I was furious. Um and I, and I remember I had to request her hospital notes as well. And I only did this last year, actually. Request her hospital notes so I could see what time they gave it to her. Right. Because I wanted to know, is it before I even woke up? I think it was after. But there was no consent form or anything mm. in those notes, in, those do- in that short pile of documents. So it, if it was consent, it would have been verbal. And my husband can't remember if he said yes or not yeah but um he could have who knows like so I have no definite answer about that but I kind of fixated on that yeah for a while because breastfeeding was the only thing left within my control and they took it you know they they sabotaged it is how I see it by giving her formula and they continued to try later on so 
I can't remember who it was, but somebody asked me, have you started expressing yet? And I was like, no, I don't even know what day it was. Yeah. Like it must have been day two or, or maybe even the night of the, you know, the morning of the birth or whatever. So yeah. it was a, a while later and um, and from that point on I was like obsessive about it, you know, trying yeah. to get milk so that I could get them to stop giving her formula. And my backup midwife at the time was um, was still breastfeeding and she expressed some of her milk for me, all hush-hush, to mm. give to the NICU nurses. And this just goes to show how little they know about breastfeeding because, what was it, day two, they get like 100 mils mm. of pure white mm-hmm. milk. Yeah. And they gave it to her in like three feeds. Wow. It was insane. They were giving her 30 mils per feed. And that's way too much. So anything I did come up with just was like gone in the instant. Um, Yeah, but those, I think the really tough part for me was dealing with them, the, the NICU nurses and their sense of ownership over the baby. And it really is, there is a real big air of that around there. Yeah. It's like they're the guardians of whoever is in there and that's it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Why, why I don't think we went into, why was she in NICU? Um, yeah. When they cut me open, apparently my abdomen was full of pus. Ugh. And uh, so when they took the baby out, she came in contact with it. Right. And as a precaution, they wanted her to be in NICU for two days on observation on antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So she was a cesarean baby. Formula was the first thing that went in her mouth and she was on antibiotics, IV antibiotics. So, um, yeah, she, she had lots of um, gut issues Mm -hmm. as a baby. Yeah. They, it, it was purely a precaution. She was healthy. And I remember at one point my midwife was with me in the NICU and she got really angry at the nurses there and was like, she's not a sick baby. Stop yeah. treating her like she's sick. Yeah. Um, and I remember there not being many babies in there at the time. Um, there was, you know, she was in one of those little crib things, uh, but not the full on yeah. one, you know, because she was a bit jaundiced. Um, anyway, I got into a, an argument at one point with one of the nurses because they um, – wanted to give her a nasal tube, Mm. feeding tube, even though she was feeding fine from a bottle and I had started to breastfeed her by this point Um, and I didn't want that and I had my um, second midwife behind me sort of, you know, whispering things in my ear to say to her but I was sitting in my wheelchair, this nurse was standing, towering over me and was really, I think at one point I said, no, I'm her mother and I say no. And she put her hands on her hips and went, well, I'm her nurse and I'm responsible for her care. And in a real domineering, you know, yeah. sort of way. It was yeah. really, really hard for me to stick up for myself. And, yeah. I, and I beat myself up I, I, over it later um, that I just didn't just tell her to fuck off because, but I was in that, God, I was in that patient mentality, like that's what I keep referring to it as, and then someone said, no, it's the good girl mentality. It's a bit of both. It's that Mm -hmm. do as you're told, don't be difficult, don't make a scene, 
Um, and they're the expert. They know more than you. And you're at one of the most vulnerable times in your life too, like literally recovering from major abdominal surgery. Yeah. And the emotional fall of all of that came before it, you know? Yeah, totally. And I was so, like, she was meant to be released from there, I think at lunchtime the next day, and they made us wait. I don't know what the delay was, but I remember we had visitors who came later that after that night to see her and they couldn't because they hadn't let her out yet um and I wasn't so worried about that I was just like I want her out of there yeah. like why they made me wait another six hours or something wow. before they gave her back to me yeah and of course that was right before visiting hours finished so yeah. I didn't have much time with her and my husband before he had to go home and that first night was like I don't know if I slept much because I was just every noise that she made. I was really um, on high alert, I think, um, and totally out of my depth. Didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I yeah. think that's every every new 100%. parent. But, um, yeah, she was, you know, she, I, and I had her in the little crib at the other on the wall as well, which was kind of like, yeah, as soon as we got home, and in our own environment, she was in the bed with me, yeah. <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and again, that was just a that was just a case of me doing what felt right. But yeah, we were in hospital for you know five days. I had some more issues with midwives um, with the breastfeeding. I had one midwife threaten to send her back down to NICU if I didn't express more. Yeah, I remember when I came to visit you, there was. A couple of things I and I had only been there for like an hour or so but there was a couple of things that had happened and that were said to you just in the short space of time that I was there yeah one about them thinking that they had that you were on kneel by mouth or oh, something yeah. yeah and which they hadn't communicated to you yeah and another when the surgeon came in and looked at your scar and said what he said to you yeah yeah so they fucked up my um there were a few things they I was supposed to be on clear fluids and someone brought me a normal meal, so I ate it. Mm. And then somehow that was my fault. They fucked up my pain relief as well. All my antibiotics, they missed, they skipped one dose. The following day, my scar was really red and inflamed. Wow. Um, yeah, they were just so, I don't know if it was a staffing issue or what, but yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't even remember this part about the scar until you reminded me of it later, but yeah, he was like, oh, you won't be wearing a bikini anytime soon. Mm. The last thing on my mind. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the scar did, you know, it did turn out to be this really big, wide, red, angry-looking scar, mm. um, which never really bothered me because I sort of thought of it as a, like a war wound. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, there are a couple of things in the hospital, you know, stuffing up the medication, the food, um, oh, the comments from the midwives, just them coming and changing my bin at four in the morning. Could not wait to get out of there. They, they kept trying to push me to go to the physio class and the breastfeeding class and I, and I didn't want anything. I just wanted to get out of there. So, um, yeah, God, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Yeah, my mum was so... Uh, like appalled with the dealing the way they dealt with it before 
you know, before yeah. the appendix burst, that she she started a complaint for me. Um, and so, yeah, it was about it was about the buck passing, yeah. you know, not wanting to take responsibility, yeah. and, and that it could have been so much worse. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where they wanted me to go into the hospital and meet with people, and I said no, yeah. and I and I sort of pulled the pin on it then. Um, and it wasn't until years later that I requested all my notes. Um, and really went through it all the I mean breastfeeding was fine once we got home everything felt fine once we got home yeah it was you know I enjoyed that whole postpartum period just sitting at home watching tv all day with her on my lap like it was just great um and I sort of put down my mind for a while like you know it didn't really come up again until um until I tried to have another baby and I think, to be honest, part of me wanted to have another one really close because my my midwife had had a you know similar experience. She had a first birth that ended in a traumatic cesarean, and her second was a home birth, and she said it was very healing. And so I latched onto that yeah. with both hands, and I was like, I need to have another one yeah. as soon as the time has passed that it's safe to do so. Yeah. So she was like nine months old and, and I was like, okay, let's go. But, um, yeah, so she was about 16 months old um, when I ended up with an ectopic pregnancy, mm. um, which I, I sort of had a gut feeling. Like it was I, – I, I got the blood test to confirm the pregnancy the day before we were due to fly out to Tasmania. And um, – and I suspected something wasn't right yeah. with the pregnancy because um, I was still bleeding quite a lot and had been for like three weeks. Mm. Uh, but I had, I think I had nausea or something and I took a test just to see and it was positive. And so we flew over there, um, we meant to be there for a week. And, uh, yeah, so, and, uh and I found out when we were over there, I called my midwife and she said, go and have a, go go somewhere and get an ultrasound. And I did, and they couldn't find anything mm. in the, in the uterus. It was empty. Um, and so they said, go straight to emergency. And so we, right. we, we're in Hobart. Like yeah. we didn't know the town. We just went to the next hospital we saw. Yeah. Turns out it was a private hospital. So we're, we're in the emergency there. They got me in a room in in a little cubicle in a bed, and I think that's when I called mum mm. or texted her and told her. Yeah, and I didn't want her to tell you, <laughs> um, because the timing was fucked. <laughs> it was fucked. Were you conscious of that at the time? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so at this point, I'm pretty sure I knew the pregnancy was not viable, but. Like I'd Googled what neck topic was even before we flew out. Um, so I knew sort of what that meant. Mm. It's okay. But yeah, I didn't want to take away from what you were going through. I just couldn't fucking believe it, to be honest. Yeah. I was like, how much bad luck? <laughs> Seriously. I felt what I really felt was angry 
um, that that it was happening um, and just stunned. Like, it was just the worst timing for our family, I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they, I still can't believe, like, I still can't believe that you went to the early pregnancy clinic with me. Honestly, that must have been so hard. I there's there's no way I could not have. There's no way that I I went through that on my own. Yeah. And there's no way that I would let anyone do that. I had just been there doing that on my own. Yeah. So it was not even a thought, not even a decision. It was just that was happening, you know. And to be honest, it didn't even cross my mind at the time. I was just there for you. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it, it was hard in hindsight. It wasn't yeah. hard at the time, yeah. at that moment. Because I remember, like, the very first time I walked into a hospital, the same hospital that, you know, Georgia was born in, and I came out of those lift doors right outside of NICU, mm. I had like a full body response to yeah. that memory yeah. of that hallway. Like I was there for a meeting to, to meet some people about being a consumer and it just threw me yeah. just being in that same space. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I I just thought, I mean, I guess it helps. It was a different hospital, different yeah. town, yeah. different everything. But, yeah, we went. We, we had to go to that clinic to get the injection to just end the pregnancy um, because they told me that it was most likely in the fallopian tube because they couldn't see anything. Well, that's what an ectopic is. Yeah. Um, by my calculations, I was eight weeks along, but the, the HCG levels were much lower, more around four weeks. So we think right. that it probably stopped growing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but still the risk was there that it could rupture. And and I didn't want that, obviously. Didn't want more surgery. So um, they gave me an injection in my leg, this um, drug that they said would um, stop it growing and it, it, my body would just reabsorb it. Wow. Which was, I remember you going like, what? Like it just boggled your mind. You're like, yeah. so nothing comes out. Like, yeah. no, it wasn't because there was no um, amniotic sac. There was nothing. It was to, just the egg. It was just yeah. what do they call it? The the fertilized egg. That was it. And um, and so they gave me this drug, which meant I couldn't breastfeed for five days, mm. something like that. So that was hard because. Um, you know, Georgia was still a baby and it was my way of yeah. parenting. Yeah. <laughs> like And were you were you still clinging to your breastfeeding journey with her as like that was yours and no one was gonna touch it and that was like as a result of Maybe. Yeah, maybe I was. I mean, definitely in the early days, mm. uh breastfeeding wasn't hard for me. Because I kind of knew from what you told me, first 12 weeks, it's going to be hard. Mm. And I knew that it wasn't you know, going to be a walk in the park, but it, it didn't bother me. I had no real serious issues, which was 
which was good but it yeah it was just maybe I didn't want to let that go and I didn't I expressed and and dumped and I got some donor milk from someone in Hobart my mother-in-law flew over with frozen milk (laughs) from our freezer and um and I remember she'd packed it so well with ice packs in it and foil and, and it was still frozen when she got there and I was like this is priceless um so we got through those five days but every two days I had to go back for more blood tests to check if the levels were dropping enough right. they wouldn't let me fly home until it was zero mm. and I and so we were stuck there for an extra week and a half and I remember that first visit to that clinic when the obstetrician there told me that most likely the fallopian tube on my right side was blocked from the force of my appendix burst and I remember walking out of there thinking if that fucking registrar was standing in front of me right now I would rip his throat out Mm. I was so angry yeah because I thought it's not over and this whole experience has done damage to me. I didn't know anything about my chances of having another baby again. Like they were talking about taking an ovary out wow. when I was in the hospital. Yeah. Forgot to mention because we showed up to a private hospital when they took my, you know, card and found out I wasn't covered. They had to shift me to another one. Wow. <laughs> but they were lovely about it. They took me through a corridor that somehow magically joined the two hospitals together. And um, Right. And that was it. I didn't have to do the whole get up, get out of the bed, go through the front door. And it, was a, it wasn't a bad experience at that hospital. Like I had to have a lot of internal ultrasounds. Yeah. But the staff there were really nice. Yeah. They were really um, uh, careful with their words. I had, you know, a nurse stay with me the whole time, holding my hand, you wow. know, distracting me, talking to me. Totally different to when we go back to Sydney and I, I had to have a follow-up one. Mm. And and that was like traumatizing. That it was it hurt. The nurse was standing by the door like she didn't really want to fucking be there. Yeah. I was bawling and no one even offered me any tissues. Like oh I said to my midwife, don't send anyone there ever again. That yeah. place was horrible. So it was this whole recovery period after that. Like I had oh, God, the drug stays in your system for a while, so I, I wasn't allowed to try again for a few months. Mm. Um, you know, and just the whole thing yeah. your body goes through, getting back into sync and yeah. all of that. Yeah, I felt like my my feelings had come back with a vengeance after that point. I was, yeah, I was, maybe I didn't deal with them properly in the beginning. I don't yeah. think I did. I started going to counselling after this. There would have been new feelings too because, you know, it's a new discovery that yeah. what you went through before has now and will now impact your life going forward, you know, and pregnancies. And- yeah. Yeah, we had to get this test done, a scan where they, they put a, a liquid dye inside you to and, and I don't like they X-ray or ultrasound at the same time mm. to see if it, goes all the way through the tubes right that hurt (laughs) it really hurt and they ended up giving up I think the tube was so blocked they couldn't get any dye through and it was causing me pain wow um 
yeah, a couple of, you know, all the scans, everything. I was sick of people poking and prodding me. There was no fucking doubt in my mind that the next time I was pregnant, I would be going the road of less interventions, mm-hmm. you know. Like someone asked me once, they thought it was strange that I decided to home birth again after this experience because a lot of people go the other way. I had the same thing after our loss with yeah. Tommy. They said the same thing. They were like, but you have had a complicated pregnancy and a loss. Don't you want to be safe? And I always say, well, that that experience taught me yeah. that not not even being in hospital can save you or your baby. Yeah. And it sent me the other way too. I was like, no, I'm going to protect this journey and do it in a way that feels right for me and keep it close to my heart. The exact same sort of mentality, you know. It teaches you what you don't want. Yeah, yeah. Like I I knew from going through that hospital what I didn't want. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And nothing else to compare it to. And I was still hanging on to that um, unfulfilled want yeah like I used to lay in our bed and I was full into the calm birth exercises like did my homework from from where I laid in the bed I could see straight down the hallway to where we would have the birth pool set up I used to lay there visualizing it like it was pretty vivid yeah um and I did the same thing for the second pregnancy but sorry the third one when we eventually fell pregnant again, I think it was almost a year after the ectopic. Um, yep, straight back, had the same midwife. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a question. Uh, we even got the obstetrician again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think because now my little bubble was burst and I was like, bad shit's probably going to happen. You know, because he told me it was one in a thousand odds of having appendicitis in pregnancy. And I've only ever met one other person. I met a couple of people online who've had it at various stages in their pregnancy. I think one had it so early that they could operate and keep the baby. Right. You know, it was like 12 weeks or something like that. Wow. Um. It's rare, and yeah. he he was like, it's it's rare. But I remember him saying to me, I I, even though your external scar is vertical, the one on your uterus is horizontal. I'm confident of your chances of having a VBAC. Okay, and he was like the VBAC expert. Yeah, at the hospital, yeah. and so I I was like, okay. And even throughout the pregnancy, he he had no concerns about me having a VBAC at home at awesome. all, none. And um, but I felt a bit better knowing that if shit hit the fan again, at least I'd have the same doctor, yeah, who may or may not have fucked me over in the first place. <laughs> when I think about it, like, couldn't you have just gotten out of bed and come yeah. into the hospital at like yeah. midnight? Would have been helpful, but I don't know. I it's don't those know. what ifs that get you, yeah, really, yeah. And I, I remember someone asking me that, like, why did you go with the same guy? And I'm like, because I knew him. Yeah. And he knows you. Like, yeah. well, he knows your story. He knows yeah. what. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes and it's better the devil you know. I've heard that before. Another, someone I know who we had babies around the same time, mm. she had an emergency cesarean with her first and elective 
the second right. because she was like those words exactly yeah better the devil I know and I get that I do um I just uh that was my that was my worst case scenario was needing another cesarean under general yeah I was like so this time around I had plan a b c d e I was like (laughs) I had a birth plan copy for the hospital copy for the midwife one for support people and this is what I want to happen if I have to have another general yeah because that was pretty fucked waking up with no baby Yeah. yeah I I felt like it happened to me. I wasn't there for it. Mm. And it was great. Like my midwife referred me to this psychologist during, was it during the, sec- the third pregnancy or between the ectopic and that one? It was it was somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, possibly even before the ectopic I first started seeing her. Yeah. She had a first baby under general by a cesarean as well. Yeah, so I felt like I could relate to her. Mm. She knew the the sort of disconnected feeling, the whole Yeah. Um Was she birth birth trauma specialist? Yeah, or, she okay. was, yeah. And and she was really good at like bringing me down. Like yeah. pretty much every time I went to see her I was like in a panic about something. Um <clears throat> it was scar rupture or uterine rupture at first. Right. I was really worried about that. And then I remember one of my midwives said to me, you've actually got more chance of getting in a car accident or dying in it or being seriously hurt in a car accident than you are of your scar rupturing. Wow. And then I was worried about car driving my <laughs> oh car. God. I was like, that pregnancy was was anxious. And um, I was going to ask you where your head, what your yeah. headspace was like in between those two. I, I forced myself to... I, I still can't watch a video of a cesarean, like can't um, even looking at pictures, like when I'm scrolling on Instagram and I see one, I'm like, no, yeah. I can't. Yeah. So I really struggled with the would I want to be awake for it mm. or not? Yeah. Because that really, um, like in the end I decided I would, so I made myself listen to this podcast where they described the procedure. Right. And that was enough for me. I had to pause it several times. I was like, okay, at least I know now what yeah. it is and what yeah. it does and how long it takes. And I, I knew I wanted to be awake for it. Um, I knew I wanted to be able to see it. Yeah. Because um, that was a real thing, not being there for the birth. Um, and I remember for ages I couldn't even say when she was born, you know, because it didn't feel like that. Um, and even still sometimes now I like the words go to come out of my mouth and and they stop because mm. I, you know. Yeah, so I was thinking of all the other things that could happen, mm. all the other rare things, mm. you know. But even then, like I thought I was prepared, but now I'm thinking I didn't consider placental abruption or any of those other things that could have happened. But I did um, prepare myself yeah. for having to go back to hospital. Um, like I wasn't going to home birth at all costs. I was... Um, not convinced that something bad was going to happen, but I wanted to be prepared for it if it did. So I had bags packed. I had two of everything in the birth space and I had one in the hospital bag. That sort of stuff put my mind at ease. The 
psychologist told me, you know, do your birth plan early, get it on, on paper and out of your head. And that really did work. It was, I knew that everyone had a copy of it and I knew that they knew what I wanted. And um, I knew that my midwife would be, um, she was the same one I'd had through, you know, the previous two pregnancies that she she knew what I wanted and what I didn't want. And um, yeah, but it was, it was anxious and um, yeah, not the same. Like mm. I didn't enjoy it the same way. Yeah. The first one was like floating, you yeah, know, it's that blissful kind of new. Yeah. I'm pregnant and yeah, you got everything to look forward to at that point yeah. until you know what else you've also possibly got to look forward to. And then the world kind of feels a little bit different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely felt like what other one in a thousand things are going to happen? Uh, those odds didn't seem so small to me anymore. What happened with me and my pregnancy with Tommy was pretty rare did that factor into your mind like did my experience bring those possibilities up for you as well no yeah (laughs) they didn't actually I mean when I say I thought about you know anything that could go wrong I like I said I didn't think of placental abruption or all those other Mm. more you know similar one in a thousand Um, things I didn't consider um things like genetic abnormalities Mm. or any of those other things. I just had this feeling of dread that something would happen. I remember we went to the calm birth again for a refresher and I was the only one there who'd already had a baby before. And it was at that point where, like, it really hit me how careful I had to be with my words Mm. because, uh, you know, we did the going around the room, why are you here? And I was last. And I did not want to burst their bubbles, you know. And I remember having a conversation with a midwife later on. She's like, how do we prepare women for birth and the possibilities of, especially in hospital, things of you being traumatised, yeah. you know, um, without scaring the shit of, out of them? Yeah. And I, I still don't have an answer for that. Like I, do, I, I don't think you can talk to a pregnant woman about that. You've no. got to talk to them before they're pregnant. It's just a, they don't consider, or maybe some people think that trauma is a part of having a baby. It's I, normalised. I've encountered people online who say um, childbirth is traumatic and, it, you know, mm. it's their experience that they're projecting and mm. I didn't want to do that in this calm birth class. They were me the first time around, Yeah, you know, and I think even if I had said something, they probably wouldn't have taken it on board anyway. Exactly. Yeah. If they were like me, they would have, you know. Um, so, yeah, I remember that day and I remember saying to James in the in the lunch break, I have to be careful what I say. And, yeah. and, you know, I was going to positive birth movement meetings as well and prior to that I was telling people about my story and mm. from that point on I think I was a bit more careful because, you know, I don't – and in no way could anyone have blamed home birth or my plans to home birth for what happened. Yeah. And I didn't carry the same guilt that a lot of people who have unplanned cesareans carry. Yeah. Like I didn't feel like my body failed me at all once. 
I knew it was one of those random things. It didn't feel like an unnecessary and it was needed. And I was I went through a phase of being really grateful for that whole experience and just grateful to be alive. And that's about the time I dropped the hospital complaint right. because <clears throat> that's the phase I was in. It's, well, you were grieving, you know. Yeah. And that's, you, you go through, and I talk about this a lot, like about grief not just being attached to the loss of a person, you know, yeah, yeah. And grief attached to the loss of an idea of all the possibilities of, you know, and you move yeah. through stages of acceptance, you yeah. know, and gratitude. Yeah. To me, it was so important for the next baby to be born vaginally or else I would not feel like I was a proper mother. And I hate saying that because I don't want to diminish other people's yeah experiences of cesarean this is just me how you felt yeah um yeah like I say I did the work to prepare myself for the possibility of being transferred again but I still think that if it had happened like I'd be fucked I I don't see I mean obviously it's hard to say without going through it but I don't think I would have the um the strength to get through it again, you know, especially, yeah. oh, God, yeah, especially because that makes your chances of a, well, home birth would have been off the table after that, um, you know, not many midwives will will take that chance. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, it was like my last shot felt like. And it was weird because it was like my first time again, you know, having not experienced labour at all the first time. True. That's true. Like I was worried about the pain of labour and the first time I wasn't. Yeah. This time I was um, and I did a lot of reading about that, reframing it into hard physical work. Before I had kids I'd, I'd done two half marathons and, climbed a really big mountain and I kept thinking about those two those things those experiences of working my body really hard Mm. for again yeah and I tried to liken it to that and um and this book really like yeah made me think about pain differently yeah which was great because that was one you know one less thing to Mm. worry about but when it came to the labor itself I wasn't like I was worried about the scar rupturing. Yeah. But when I was in labor, I didn't think of it once. Right. It didn't, it wasn't until afterwards I'm like, oh, gee, my midwife was like, she was up and down, up and down a lot. Like mm. every time there was a contraction, she was, um, you know, she had the Doppler. Yeah. And then in between, she'd go and write something down and then she'd come back. back and yeah. it was like that the whole mm. time. Mm. And I, I'm pretty sure that was because, um, she was just being extra vigilant, you know, which was good. Felt bad for it on her own doing <laughs> all that up and down. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of The Birth Debrief. I'm sorry that this episode ended a little abruptly. Uh, Kristen had to leave to pick up her kids from school, which is fair enough. We have already recorded the second part to this episode, which covers Kristen's most recent pregnancy and also delves into her work in birth advocacy 
and lots of other super interesting topics. So I will be working on that over the next week or so, and hopefully I'll be able to get it out to you guys ASAP. As always, if you have any questions at all, please feel free to reach out to me. I will include Kristen's Instagram details in the episode notes. So if you want to reach out to her in any capacity, you are also more than welcome to. And my final note is that if you or someone you know has a journey that you think would be well suited to being shared on this platform in this beautiful little podcast I've created, I would be so honoured to be able to sit and hold space for you or them. So get in touch with me if you think that is the case. Um, Again, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate every single person who downloads and listens to this podcast. It is a little passion project of mine, which I have left to go stale for all too long and I am breathing new life into it now so I hope you guys continue to enjoy it